want to invite you to take your Bibles, and uh, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, 5, our primary text, uh, verses 31 and 32. Um, as we continue our gospel above all theme, uh, the month of, of February, our theme is, if the gospel is above all, then how should that affect our marriage? If the gospel is above all, then what is a gospel marriage? I read about a pastor who went to speak to a group of fourth graders about marriage. As he walked into the room and the kids were gathered together, he simply asked the question, Do any of you know what God has to say about marriage? And one little boy in the back was anxious to speak, and so he was waving his hand and wanting the pastor to notice him. And finally the pastor noticed and said, Okay, young, young man, what does God have to say about marriage? And without flinching, the little boy replied, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Well, church, the truth is, sometimes we don't know what we're doing. And that's why I think our study in February is going to be so very important. In November of last year, the Pew Research Center did a survey and discovered some disturbing trends um, in the United States. Uh, one of those trends is that more people today are choosing to cohabitate than to get married. Now that's not the case several years ago. If you'll notice on the chart, back in 2002, more people were choosing to marry than they were simply to live together. And now, uh, here we are 15, 16 years later, those have completely reversed. More people are choosing to live together than they are to marry. In fact, 69% of them will say it's okay uh, for us to live together even if we don't get married. When they were asked about their reasons for living together, the large majority of them cited as the two primary reasons, finances and convenience, as the reason for cohabitation. What's interesting is that the very last question that they asked of everybody that they surveyed, 97% all said, I want a close-knit family. Now, I don't know what these things tell you, but what they tell me is that marriage in the United States is disintegrating. Now, there are many reasons why marriage is out and cohabitation is in. There are many reasons why marriage is no longer the thing to explore and cohabitation is now the thing to pursue. It may possibly be that marriage is misunderstood and abused and neglected. And according to these findings, now today, the most intimate of human relationships is now being redefined. It is no longer holy matrimony. It is an alternative living arrangement. We fail 
to learn the consequences of ignoring God's design. And we can walk through them, right? We can talk about the heartache and the distrust and the trauma and all of the divorce and abortion and alimony and single parenthood and neglected children and child support payments and on and on and on. There are few issues that have caused more grief in families' lives than the breakdown and fallout of marriage. There's probably not a person in this room that hasn't experienced that fallout and that breakdown in some way, shape, or form, either by the home you grew up in or either in your own life or a close family member's life or in the lives of your children. In fact, it is so common that pastors today will often avoid the subject. Why? Because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we don't want to cause any conflict. Church, I believe as a pastor that I have a biblical mandate to discuss marriage. And I believe that as Christ followers, it is more imperative than ever that we hold marriage and the marriage covenant in high esteem. I believe the church must renew its understanding of marriage and how it is connected with the gospel if we are to see these kinds of things change. Uh, by the way, just quickly, a few helpful resources that I would recommend to you. There is a really good book by Andreas Kostenberger entitled God, Marriage, and Family. It is talking about rebuilding a biblical foundation. That is an excellent resource. Uh, there's a book by John Piper entitled This Momentary Marriage. and He talks about this uh, understanding of permanence. Uh, Tim Keller's book is a very popular book entitled The Meaning of Marriage. It's an excellent resource. This is my personal favorite. This is what I use in premarital counseling. It's Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage, because one of the things that Gary Thomas does over and over and over again is he drives home the fact that marriage is not about our happiness. It's about our holiness, and that is what we are to pursue. Right? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than God designed marriage to make us happy? So I, I want to give you a very basic, fundamental, elementary definition of marriage. And then we're going to build off of it today and then pursue some other things over the course of this month. Marriage is a God-given lifelong union between a man and a woman for the purpose of serving God. Marriage is a God-given lifelong union between a man and a woman for the purpose of serving God. Here's what that definition tells us. It tells us, first of all, that marriage is given to us by God. So if you go back, for example, to Genesis chapter 1, you will find that everything begins there. And so that's where we have to start, right? We have to say that marriage begins with God, that marriage is a work of God, that marriage gets its meaning from God. 
The very first chapter of the Bible records how God creates everything ex nihilo, that God creates out of nothing. And after creating the earth, He creates the animals, and then He creates, in Genesis 1.27, a man and a woman. He creates us in His own image. Then when you move to chapter 2, you have a more detailed look at that most precious of human relationships. We have a more detailed account of the creation of man and woman, how God created Adam, and but when Adam felt alone, he created Eve from Adam's side, and then in verse 22 and following, God brings them together, and God himself performs that very first marriage ceremony. And so it's in that context, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, in the text that was read for us this morning, it is in that context, as Paul is now teaching about what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for God, and how he goes into the role of the wife, and the role of the husband, and where children fit in the family dynamic. In the midst of all of that, we hear the Apostle Paul, tell us that marriage is to be a lifelong union, right? Look at verse 31. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Right? So there's the image and there's the picture. This image of leaving and cleaving is actually rooted in God's creation. And he says, and they shall become one flesh. Do you remember when Jesus was asked about divorce in Mark chapter 10 from the Pharisees? He points back to this verse. He points back to creation itself. Jesus affirms not only that there was a literal Adam and Eve, but Jesus affirmed that God performed the very first marriage ceremony. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage, Jesus goes back, just like Paul does, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. But then Jesus says this. Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together. What God has joined together. The oneness of marriage is God's doing. The oneness of marriage is something that God does. Marriage is not merely a human decision. Marriage is not just some tradition. Marriage oneness is a great work of God. And Jesus affirms that. Our Savior is pointing us to God's plan for marriage. Our Savior is helping us to see that marriage uniquely brings together a man and a woman and the two become one flesh. 
Jesus, our Savior, is helping us to see that God established marriage as a lifelong relationship between a husband and a wife, designed to be full of joy and love and intimacy. When Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, Paul actually tells us in Ephesians, there's some profound hidden truth there. Right? That's what he says in verse 32. Uh, Paul writes, he didn't write that, I did. This is what Paul wrote. Paul says in verse 32, the mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see that? Paul uses this word mystery several times in the New Testament. And it always refers to a kind of truth that was hidden for a while. And now all of a sudden is revealed to man. So we have to ask the question, what profound truth about marriage is Paul revealing? Well, this is it. This is the profound truth that Paul is revealing. The earthly is meant to reflect the eternal. The earthly is meant to reflect the eternal. Marriage between a man and a woman is meant to reflect the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. And so this Christ-bride relationship, Paul says, it is profound. It's amazing. You think about that, church. Think about how Christ came to the earth as a man. How He lived a perfect life. How He died on the cross for our sins. How He rose from the dead as we sang this morning. How He is in heaven today interceding for us. And how He will one day return to take us as His own. And until that day comes, He gives us His seal. He gives us His Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. And now Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, guess what? That's how you ought to view your marriage. Paul is saying you ought to view your marriage as something that is profoundly mysterious. Profoundly amazing. He is saying your marriage is to be as holy a human relationship as one can find. We'll go into greater detail of that this month. But I want us to grasp that by God's grace and by God's power, marriage can reflect in some real, although imperfect, marriage can reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship between Christ and us. That is the divine purpose of marriage. If you're wondering about the purpose for your marriage, that's it right there. I don't know. I wonder if sometimes maybe we get that backwards. 
I wonder if sometimes maybe we try to look at our marriage to understand the relationship between Christ and the church. And maybe that's the reason why often it is taken so lightly. No, dear ones, we must always look to the relationship between Christ and His church to better understand the purpose of our earthly relationships. Your marriage, my marriage, our marriages are meant to be a reflection of that relationship. The purpose of your marriage today is to point to the crucified and risen Savior who one day, hallelujah, and praise God, is returning for His bride. And that's why God... That's why God gave me this precious woman. That's why God gave me, outside of Jesus himself, my greatest gift. And when my granddaughter is born in a few weeks, my second greatest gift. (laughs) Don't you see? you see the beauty, the mystery, how amazing it is when a man and a woman come together as a husband and a wife, how they stand before God, before their parents and their families and their church family and they stand before God and they understand that they are making a covenant with their spouse and it is a reflection of the covenant keeping love of Jehovah for us. In Malachi 2.24, it actually says your spouse is your companion by covenant. Hmm. So Bob, that means our marriage is not a social contract, right? It's not a car lease. It's not a gym membership. It's a spiritual covenant. It is an agreement and a guarantee that one person makes with another. It's a man and a woman promising to be faithful as a husband and as a wife in a one flesh union for as long as they live. Marriage is about covenant keeping. It is about death do us part. It is about, I take you to be my bride, my husband, no matter what. In Malachi 2.14, the Hebrew word for covenant is often translated oath. So at a marriage ceremony, we stand before God, we stand before witnesses, and we pledge before God, we oath before God, that we will do what we are pledging to do. By the way, guess what the Greek word for oath is? It's the word 
mysterion. Mystery. That's what Paul is connecting in Ephesians. He's taking this Old Testament imagery, describing the marital relationship between a man and a woman as a type of marriage between Christ and His church. There is a theology of marriage. By the way, we love to sing our theology. We love to sing our oath. We love to sing of the eternal covenant love of God. Think about some of the things we sang today. When with the ransomed in glory, His face I at last shall see, T'will be my joy through the ages. To sing of His love for me. How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And our marriage is connected to the theology of the covenant love of God for us. We sang, Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. You see that picture of oneness in the marriage supper of the Lamb? In choir special, our choir sang for us, In the name of Jesus, rise up. Cast away your doubt and shame. And find healing today. In the name of Jesus, rise up. Church, hear me today. It is our prayer, it is my prayer, that God will cause a group of people to rise up and renew their understanding of the covenant-keeping love of God. And will then have the most intimate of all human relationships, that between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, in holy matrimony, till death do us part, having their relationship always point to the Christ bride union. I want you to do me a favor today. I want you to close your Bibles and put your notes up and put away your phones. And I want you to stand up. And I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to speak to you for just a minute. And then we're going to go into a, a time of decision or a time of 